You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining the American Revolution. Today, episode 120, The American Crisis. Last week, I covered a few side events in Rhode Island and Canada that took place in late 1776. But we all know the main event was along the Delaware River. Over the last few episodes, I addressed the British push to take New Jersey and the Continental Retreat toward Pennsylvania. Continental soldiers were leaving in droves as their enlistments ended, or just plain deserting. General Washington had another very large enlistment expiration at the end of December, leaving him with little more than a few regiments to command. Very few soldiers saw any chance of victory and were eager to go home. One of the soldiers retreating with the Continentals was Thomas Paine. The author of Common Sense had enlisted in the Pennsylvania militia some time after writing his famous pamphlet. He ended up in Fort Lee, where he volunteered to serve as General Nathaniel Greene's aide-de-camp. Payne marched with the rest of the army from Fort Lee as the British under Cornwallis pursued them. According to legend, Payne marched with the army during the day and penned his new work, The American Crisis No. 1, during the evenings as the army marched from Newark to the Delaware River. It's hard to imagine, though, having time to do anything during that march. Perhaps he had time to scratch out a few notes. There is no good record as to exactly how much of the crisis he wrote during the march, but years later, Payne said that he wrote the crisis in Philadelphia after his arrival in the city on December 8th. The purpose of Payne's essay was not to inspire the troops. It was an attempt to rally the public to the cause and encourage more men to enlist. Although it is a bit lengthy for this podcast, I'm going to read it here in full since it is such a powerful work. With that, let's begin. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. If being bound in that manner is not slavery, then there is not such a thing as slavery upon the earth. Even the expression is impious for so unlimited a power can belong only to God. Whether the independence of the continent was declared too soon or delayed too long, I will not now enter into as an argument. My own simple opinion is that, had it been eight months earlier, 
it would have been much better. We did not make the proper use of last winter, neither could we while we were in a dependent state. However, the fault, if it were one, was all our own. The present winter is worth an age, if rightly employed, but if lost or neglected, the whole continent will partake of the evil, and there is no punishment that man does not deserve, be he who or what or where he will. That may be the means of sacrificing a season so precious and useful. We have none to blame but ourselves, but no great deal is lost yet. All that Howe has been doing for this month past is rather a ravage than a conquest, which the spirit of the Jerseys a year ago would have quickly repulsed, and which time and a little resolution will soon recover. I have as little superstition in me as any man living, but my secret opinion has ever been, and still is, that God Almighty will not give up a people to military destruction or leave them unsupportedly to perish, who have so earnestly and so repeatedly sought to avoid the calamities of war by every decent method which wisdom could invent. Neither have I so much of the infidel in me as to suppose that he has relinquished the government of the world and has given us up to the care of devils. And as I do not, I cannot see on what grounds the King of Britain can look up to heaven for help against us, a common murderer, a highwayman, or a housebreaker, has as good a pretense as he. Tis surprising to see how rapidly a panic will sometimes run through a country. All nations and ages have been subject to them. Britain has trembled like an ague at the report of a French fleet of flat-bottomed boats. And in the 14th century, the whole English army, after ravaging the kingdom of France, was driven back like men petrified with fear, and this brave exploit by a few broken forces collected and headed by a woman, Joan of Arc. Would that heaven might inspire some Jersey maid to spirit up her countrymen and save her fair fellow sufferers from ravage and ravishment. Yet panics, in some cases, have their uses. They produce as much good as hurt. Their duration is always short, and the mind soon grows through them and acquires a firmer habit than before. But their peculiar advantage is that they are touchstones of sincerity and hypocrisy, and bring things and men to light, which might otherwise have lain forever undiscovered. In fact, they have the same effect on secret traitors which an imaginary apparition would have upon a private murderer. They sift out the hidden thoughts of man and hold them up in public to the world. Many a disguised Tory has lately shown his head that shall penitently solemnize with curses the day on which Howe arrived upon the Delaware. As I was with the troops at Fort Lee and marched with them to the edge of Pennsylvania, I am well acquainted with many circumstances which those who live at a distance know but little or nothing of. Our situation there was exceedingly cramped the place being a narrow neck of land between the North River and the Hackensack. Our force was inconsiderable, being not one-fourth so great as Howe could bring against us. We had no army to have relieved the garrison 
had we shut ourselves up and stood on our defense. Our ammunition, light artillery, and the best part of our stores had been removed on the apprehension that Howe would endeavor to penetrate the jerseys, in which case Fort Lee could be of no use to us. For it must occur to every thinking man, whether in the army or not, that these kind of field forts are only for temporary purposes and last in use no longer than the enemy directs his force against the particular object which such forts are raised to defend. Such was our situation and condition at Fort Lee on the morning of the 20th of November when an officer arrived with information that the enemy with 200 boats had landed about seven miles above. Major General Green, who commanded the garrison, immediately ordered them under arms and sent express to General Washington at the town of Hackensack by way of the ferry, about six miles. Our first object was to secure the bridge over the Hackensack, which laid up the river between the enemy and us, about six miles from us and three from them. General Washington arrived in about three-quarters of an hour and marched at the head of the troops toward the bridge, which place I expected we should have a brush for. However, they did not choose to dispute it with us, and the greatest part of our troops went over the bridge, the rest over the ferry, except some which passed at a mill on a small creek between the bridge and the ferry, and made their way through some marshy grounds up to the town of Hackensack, and there passed the river. We brought off as much baggage as the wagons could contain, the rest was lost. The simple object was to bring off the garrison and march them till they could be strengthened by a Jersey or Pennsylvania militia, so as to be enabled to make a stand. We stayed four days at Newark, collected our outpost and some of the New Jersey militia, and marched out twice to meet the enemy, on being informed that they were advocating, though our numbers were greatly inferior to theirs. Howe, in my little opinion, committed a great error in generalship in not throwing the body of his forces off from Staten Island through Amboy, by which means he might have seized all our stores at Brunswick and intercepted our march into Pennsylvania. But if we believe the power of hell to be limited, we must likewise believe that their agents are under some providential control. I shall not now attempt to give all the particulars of our retreat to the Delaware. Suffice it for the present to say that both officers and men, though greatly harassed and fatigued, frequently without rest, covering, or provision, the inevitable consequences of a long retreat, bore it with a manly and martial spirit. All their wishes centered in one, which was that the country would turn out and help them to drive the enemy back. Voltaire has remarked that King William never appeared to full advantage but in difficulties and in action. The same remark may be made on General Washington, for the character fits him. There is a natural firmness in some minds which cannot be unlocked by trifles, but which, when unlocked, discovers a cabinet of fortitude, and I reckon it among those kind of public blessings which we do not immediately see, that God hath blessed him with uninterrupted health and given him a mind that can flourish upon care. I shall conclude this paper with some miscellaneous remarks on the state of our affairs, 
and shall begin with asking the following question. Why is it that the enemy have left the New England provinces and made these middle ones the seat of war? The answer is easy. New England is not infested with Tories, and we are. I have been tender in raising the cry against these men and used numberless arguments to show them from their danger. But it will not do to sacrifice a world either to their folly or their baseness. The period is now arrived in which either they must or we must change our sentiments. One or both must fall. And what is a Tory? Good God, what is he? I should not be afraid to go with a hundred Whigs against a thousand Tories, were they to attempt to get into arms. Every Tory is a coward, for servile, slavish, self-interested fear is the foundation of Toryism, and a man under such influence, though he may be cruel, can never be brave. But before the line of irrecoverable separation be drawn between us, let us reason the matter together. Your conduct is an invitation to the enemy, yet not one in a thousand of you has heart enough to join him. How is as much deceived by you as the American cause is injured by you? He expects you will take up arms and flock to his standard, with muskets on your shoulders. Your opinions are of no use to him unless you support him personally, for tis soldiers and not Tories that he wants. I once felt all that kind of anger, which a man ought to feel against the mean principles that are held by Tories. A noted one who kept a tavern at Amboy was standing at his door with as pretty a child in his hand, about eight or nine years old, as I ever saw. And after speaking his mind freely as he thought was prudent, he finished with this unfatherly expression. Well, give me peace in my day. Not a man lives on the continent, but fully believes that a separation must some time or other finally take place. And a generous parent would have said, If there must be trouble, let it be in my day, that my child may have peace. And this single reflection, well applied, is sufficient to awaken every man to his duty. Not a place upon earth might be so happy as America. Her situation is remote from all the wrangling world, and she has nothing to do but to trade with them. A man can distinguish himself between temper and principle, and I am as confident as I am that God governs the world that America will never be happy until she gets clear of foreign domination. Wars without ceasing will break out till that period arrives, and the continent must in the end be conqueror. For though the flame of liberty may sometimes cease to shine, the coal can never expire. America did not, nor does not, want force. But she wanted a proper application of that force. Wisdom is not the purchase of a day, and it is no wonder that we should err at first setting off. From an excess of tenderness, we were unwilling to raise an army and trusted our cause to the temporary defense of well-meaning militia. A summer's experience has now taught us better. Yet with those troops, while they were collected, we were able to set bounds to the progress of the enemy. And thank God, they are again assembling. I always considered militia as the best troops in the world 
for a sudden exertion, but they will not do for a long campaign. How, it is probable, will make an attempt on this city. Should he fail on this side of the Delaware, he is ruined. If he succeeds, our cause is not ruined. He stakes all on his side against a part on ours. Admitting he succeeds, the consequence will be that the armies from both ends of the continent will march to assist their suffering friends in the Middle States. For he cannot go everywhere. It is impossible. I consider Howe as the greatest enemy the Tories have. He is bringing a war to their country, which had it not been for him and partly for themselves, they had been clear of. Should he now be expelled, I wish with all the devotion of a Christian that the names of Whig and Tory may never more be mentioned. But should the Tories give him encouragement to come, or assistance if he come, I as sincerely wish that our next year's arms may expel them from the continent, and the Congress appropriate their possessions to the relief of those who have suffered in well-doing. A single successful battle next year will settle the whole. America could carry on a two-years' war by the confiscation of the property of disaffected persons and be made happy by their expulsion. Say not that this is revenge. Call it rather the soft resentment of a suffering people who, having no object in view but the good of all, have staked their own all upon a seemingly doubtful event. Yet it is folly to argue against determined hardness. Eloquence may strike the ear, and the language of sorrow draw forth the tear of compassion, but nothing can reach the heart that is steeled with prejudice. Quitting this class of men, I will turn with the warm ardor of a friend to those who have nobly stood and are yet determined to stand the matter out. I call not upon a few, but upon all. Not on this state or that state, but on every state. Up and help us. Lay your shoulders to the wheel. Better have too much force than too little, when so great an object is at stake. Let it be told to the future world that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and country, alarmed to one common danger, came forth to meet and repulse it. Say not that thousands are gone. Turn out your tens of thousands. Throw not the burden of the day upon providence, but show your faith by your works, that God may bless you. It matters not where you live or what rank of life you hold. The evil or the blessing will reach you all. The far and the near, the home countries and the back, the rich and the poor, will suffer or rejoice alike. The heart that feels not now is dead. The blood of his children will curse his cowardice who shrinks back at a time when a little might have saved the whole and made them happy. I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress, and grow brave by reflection. Tis the business of little minds to shrink, but he whose heart is firm, and whose conscience approves his conduct, will pursue his principles unto death. My own line of reasoning is to myself as straight and clear as a ray of light. Not all the treasures of the world, so far as I believe, could have induced me to support an offensive war, for I think it murder. But if a thief breaks into my house, burns and destroys my property, 
and kills or threatens to kill me or those who are in it, and to bind me in all cases whatsoever to his absolute will, am I to suffer it? What signifies it to me, whether he who does it is a king or a common man, my countrymen or not my countrymen, whether it be done by an individual villain or an army of them? If we reason to the root of things, we shall find no difference. Neither can any just cause be assigned. Why should we punish in the one case and pardon in the other? Let them call me rebel and welcome. I feel no concern from it. But should I suffer the misery of devils, were I to make a whore of my soul by swearing allegiance to one whose character is that of a sottish, stupid, stubborn, worthless, brutish man, I conceive likewise a horrid idea in receiving mercy from a being who at the last day shall be shrieking to the rocks and mountains to cover him and fleeing with terror from the orphan, the widow, and the slain of America. There are cases which cannot be overdone by language, and this is one. There are persons, too, who do not see the full extent of the evil which threatens them, They solace themselves with the hopes that the enemy, if he succeed, will be merciful. It is the madness of folly to expect mercy from those who have refused to do justice. And even mercy, where the conquest is the object, is only a trick of war. The cunning of the fox is as murderous as the violence of the wolf, and we ought to guard equally against both. Hal's first object is, partly by threats and partly by promises, to terrify or seduce the people to deliver up their arms and receive mercy. The ministry recommended the same plan to Gage. This is what the Tories call making their peace. A peace which passeth all understanding, indeed. A peace which would be the immediate forerunner of a worse ruin than any we could have yet thought of. Ye men of Pennsylvania do reason upon these things. Were the back countries to give up their arms, they would fall an easy prey to the Indians, who are well armed. This, perhaps, is what some Tories would not be sorry for. Were the home countries to deliver up their arms, they would be exposed to the resentment of the back countries, who would then have it in their power to chastise their defection at pleasure. And were any one state to give up its arms, that state must be garrisoned by all Hal's army of Britons and Hessians to preserve it from the anger of the rest. Mutual fear is the principal link in the chain of mutual love, and woe be to the state that breaks the compact. Hal is mercifully inviting you to barbarous destruction, and men must be either rogues or fools that will not see it. Dwell upon the vapors of imagination. I bring reason to your ears, and in language as plain as ABC, hold up truth to your eyes. I thank God that I fear not. I see no real cause for fear. I know our situation well and can see the way out of it. While our army was collected, Hal dared not risk a battle, and it is no credit to him that he decamped from the White Plains and waited for a mean opportunity to ravage the defenseless jerseys. But it is a great credit to us that, with a handful of men, we sustained orderly retreat for near a hundred miles 
and brought off our ammunition, all our field pieces, the greatest part of our stores, and had four rivers to pass. None can say that our retreat was precipitate, for we were near three weeks in performing it, that the country might have time to come in. Twice we marched back to meet the enemy and remained out till dark. The sign of fear was not seen in our camp, and had not some of the cowardly and disaffected inhabitants spread false alarms through the country, the Jerseys had never been ravaged. Once more we are again collected and collecting. Our new army at both ends of the continent is recruiting fast, and we shall be able to open the next campaign with 60,000 men well-armed and clothed. This is our situation, and who will may know it. By perseverance and fortitude we have the prospect of a glorious issue. By cowardice and submission, the sad choice of a variety of evils. A ravaged country, a depopulated city, habitations without safety, and slavery without hope. Our homes turned into barracks and body houses for the Hessians and a future race to provide for, whose fathers we shall doubt of. Look on this picture and weep over it. And if there yet remains one thoughtless wretch who believes it not, let him suffer it unlamented. Thus ended the crisis. These powerful words began to spread over the continent of North America, beginning in late December. Historians don't agree on the day it was published. Most say December 19th, but it may have been as late as December 23rd. Popular legend says he published it in the Pennsylvania Journal and that Washington had read it to his army just before they crossed the Delaware to attack the Hessians. But again, there's no contemporary evidence that Washington did this. Payne's first printing came as an independent pamphlet. The Pennsylvania Journal had ceased publishing entirely in early December because of the expected British invasion of Philadelphia. It did not resume publishing until mid-January. Another paper, the Pennsylvania Packet, reprinted the first half a few days after Christmas. It did not publish the second half until January. That said, it is quite possible that copies of the original American Crisis pamphlet reached the Continental Army a few days before the crossing, and that many soldiers either read it or had it read to them. Whatever the details of its release, Payne's crisis called on the nation to rally against the British Army. Next week, we will cover the beginning of the country's counterattack. This episode is supported by the food delivery service, Factor. It's spring now, and we all want to spend more time outdoors, enjoying life, not the kitchen. Factor ensures you have fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals that you can prepare in just two minutes. Each week, you get a menu of 35 meal options, as well as 60 add-ons, including breakfasts, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages. You can customize your orders to get as much or as little as you want each week, and can pause or make changes to your orders at any time. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. It's the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Now, they even have a special deal for fans of the American Revolution podcast. 
Head to factormeals.com slash ARP50 and use that code ARP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code ARP50 at factormeals.com slash ARP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hi. Thanks for joining the American Revolution Podcast After Show. I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters, especially those at the Privy Council level, Roger Williams of 10CrucialDays.org, Mike Hager, and just joining them, Mason Pierce. Also, Standard Bearer members Chris Roy, Eric Bloomquist, and newcomer John Pinella. Members who support the podcast at these levels get a free flag magnet each month from the American Revolution. You can also support the podcast at other levels and receive other benefits, such as early access to episodes and scripts of upcoming episodes. Go to patreon.com and search for American Revolution Podcast for more details. Most of this week's episode was simply reading Thomas Paine's American Crisis in full. Payne is such a powerful writer that I thought it worth reading the whole document. This was the first in a series of 13 essays that Payne would write over the course of the war to encourage national morale. Payne came to America from England just before the Revolution. His pamphlet, Common Sense, is widely credited with helping to move the nation to support independence. His continued writing throughout the war kept Americans engaged. Many of his crisis articles came near the end of the war, hoping to transition the war into a just and successful peace. After the war, Paine moved to Paris to participate in the French Revolution. Like many outspoken men, he came close to losing his head there, but with the help of American diplomats was able to return to America. Paine's later writings, attacking organized religion and supporting what would today be called socialism, put him out of favor with many early federal leaders. He really was a man ahead of his time, supporting the abolition of slavery, women's rights, and a host of other reforms that would take place long after his death. Sadly, some of his works were burned in a fire, including an unpublished autobiography. Even so, much of the surviving writing is still of great interest today. For that reason, this week's book recommendation is Thomas Paine's Collected Works, edited by Eric Foner. This book collects all of his most important works, including Common Sense, The Crisis Series, The Rights of Man, and The Age of Reason, as well as other important letters and pamphlets. Altogether, it's over 900 pages of documents. But you don't have to read the whole thing cover to cover. As a collection of works, you can read the parts that you want. Of course, all of Payne's works are public domain now and are available freely over the internet. Still, if you're like me and prefer reading paper books for those long reads, this is a really good collection. It's available used on Amazon for under 10 bucks, including shipping, or you can get the Kindle version if you prefer that for only a buck. My online recommendation this week, for those of you that prefer to read the free online works, is the collected works of Thomas Paine on Project Gutenberg. If there is anyone who is unfamiliar with Project Gutenberg, 
it has a vast library of public domain works available to read free online. Gutenberg has been on the Internet longer than most people have had computers. The project began way back in 1971 when founder Michael Hart invented ebooks and began transcribing public domain books for free use. The site, projectgutenberg.org, is a labor of love. It's completely free and ad-free, surviving on donations. It has tens of thousands of free books available for download or online viewing, with hundreds more added each month. There is a section for the collected works of Thomas Paine, which you may find useful. Go to gutenberg.org for more details. Well, that's all for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for another American Revolution podcast.